This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of the Royal Blue Podcast. My name is Joe Thomas. I'm the Echo's Everton FC correspondent. And alongside me, we've got regularly contributor Gav Buckland and we've got my colleague Chris Beasley. Been another busy week in the world of Everton. It always is. Of course it is. And since we last spoke, Everton have finally started kicking the ball around for the first time, although probably far too soon for most of us, given what they've put everybody through for the last two seasons. We'll start back in Switzerland from a couple of days ago. Chris, you were obviously out there, had the privilege of being out there. The only reporter from anywhere in the world who happened to be watching that game, you know, Obviously, Feather and the Echoes, both. of course, it is. It allows us to give some insight that others aren't able to do. Chris, just um, talk us through. We don't need to talk about the game just so we'll come on to the game. But I think it was very clear in Sean Dyche's comments after the game and some of the players that you spoke to and some of the interviews that have already been published. That Obviously, the game itself wasn't important. The scoreline, the tactics wasn't deemed as a, as, as, a, as a barometer of where Everton are at this stage. What was is more, this was a camp that was more about fitness and more about kind of team bonding to a certain extent. I know they had Wednesday afternoon off to kind of do those type of things. Having been over there in the camp for most of the time that Everton were out there and having been up close and personal with the likes of Dwight McNeil, James Tarkovsky, Nathan Patterson, Steve Stone and Sean Dyche, of course. I mean, what what, what did you make of everything? How do you yeah. think last week went? And how do you think that Everton fought last week went? I think they, they genuinely fought. It, it, it went very well. It's, it's a facility that Sean Dyche has been to before with Burnley a few years ago. Now, but he obviously likes it. And there's some of the comments he was saying is that the people there, they can't do enough for you. Um, really welcoming. I mean, very plush facilities as well. It was rather different than where I was staying. Uh, but uh, a bit of a workout myself going up and down those hills every every day. It was uh, great views overlooking uh, Lake Geneva or uh, Lake Lac Le Mans, I think, as the French call it. Because we were on the French side, remember, at that point in, in, in the Avion area. And... Uh, yeah, plenty of um, time for, for for work, rest and play, really, because they were, obviously, like you say, they were working them very hard on on the training ground um, facilities. I, I understand they were actually used by Germany at the last Euro. So, see, um, first-class facilities there. And a lot of the young lads as well. It's just um, Sean Dyche mentioned to me after the game that it's a big physical step for them to get their bodies ready for the, the physical demands of the Premier League, but they were all uh, mucking in and uh, playing their part. James Tarkovsky said as well that he felt that the young lads had so, certainly sort of stepped up to the plate and sort of really put a shift in over the week. So, yeah, it was all about building that, that physical fitness ahead of the season, and that was another thing James Tarkovsky said. Uh, we might come on to that. How Everton aim to be the fittest team in the Premier League. That's a badge that, that, that they want. So, yeah, it, was, it seemed to be a really good setup. Steve Stone said to me, you know, he's been on plenty of these sort of trips before. And um, as first team coach, he thought it was just right, just the correct length of time, sort of facilities that were on offer. Because the last thing you want is a lot of these young men sort of climbing up the wall with boredom and, uh, you know, getting up to mischief because they're not happy in the camp but it didn't seem like that at all it seemed like a really fruitful week for them so they had double sessions training on the Tuesday double sessions on the Thursday as well so clearly worked out as we're in the club interview after yeah. after the game on, on Friday night as well you could almost see the smile in the back yeah. of 
Sean Dyche's eyes <laughs> as he kind of like relished how, how much he'd made them work. And of course, there's more of that this week. It's Gaffer's Day, the wow, Notorious yeah. Gaffer's Day on Tuesday. Then after that piece I wrote yesterday, Sunday, that being the mindset will switch to a little bit more, starting to take tactical things on, uh, tactical and technical elements into training. So you start to build up into the season, which is obviously less than a month away. Gav, we know that in things like the transfer market, Everton aren't in a situation at the moment where they can necessarily be proactive. They have to react to what's going on. They have to see how the dominoes fall elsewhere and, and basically try and get themselves in as good a position to pounce where possible. It seems, and I think we probably all anticipated that this was likely to be the case, but from, from the little that we have seen already of Daesh in pre-season, it sounds like his main focus is to use a Daesh bingo call phrase, control the controllables, um, Chris referred to it there, being the, the fittest team in the Premier League or one of them. Does it give you a sense of reassurance that we seem to have a first team coaching network that want to focus their priorities on what it is that they can control? And fitness is something they can control. Dyche, Wone, Stone, etc. They can't decide whether or not Everton have £40 million to go out and spend yeah. on a new striker. They can't spend money or pull in favours to fill in the holes that we know that they've got in that squad. But what they can do is they can do everything that's possible to make these lads, put them in a position where they can fight better, faster, harder, stronger than anybody yeah. else. And albeit, although that being a cliche, although that being something that I know we would all say, oh, football is a simple game, and we'd all expect that of every yeah. single management team and every single squad, I think we can see the physical evidence of what's going on at Evans' training camps. And perhaps a way that we couldn't see it with Lampard's last summer, does that give you any reassurance? Or do you actually just look at this and think, well, this should be a given, and surely every training camp across the other 19 Premier League teams of the summer is going to be the same makeup? Um. A bit of both, really. I think I was I was thinking about it. Um, they, they say armies are the most vulnerable when they're in retreat, aren't they? And for the last two years, Everton have been in retreat as a club, hadn't he, as a first team? And I think at the moment we've actually stopped retreating. We sort of now like we we're digging, you know, like what you're talking about there, Joe. It's like we're digging in now again, aren't we, to, to defend or whatever you would, you would call it to protect ourselves, and that, that encompasses that type of stuff you're talking about. Getting, it is a cliche, I know, but it is like doing the basics, like getting the players fit. You can control your tactics as well, and you just get get the impression that okay, we need players, but if we can get what if we get the most of what we've got, then that would be very as a team, you know, that's very advantageous. And you think, and I get what Dice is doing. I think that's quite a smart move there, rather than preparing to bring three or four players in and saying, oh, you know. This, this is how we're going to play and this is what we need is get the most first of all out of what you've got and and I see you know what we said and what Steve Stone said that's what they you know that's what they're going to be doing um, you know in pre-season and I think that's pretty get the basics right for the start I like I like what you say there the way you kind of reference that because you kind of it has felt like a club that's been in retreat been on the back foot for a yeah. long time and I think it probably when you look at the wider context in which the clubs operate them in I think it probably still is but in terms of Finch Farm and on the pitch yeah it did feel like there was a bit of a sea change when Deitch came in. And it may well be that if Everton go on having an all right season this season, if they do stay up, we know that this time next year, things should start to look a little bit easier. Some of the more, some of the more expensive, difficult financial years drop off the, yeah, the, year, the yeah, reckoning. Yeah. Um, obviously, a lot more of the onerous contracts all of a sudden disappear from the books or Everton have the opportunity to let go of the likes of Gabamin, Gomez and, and a couple of others. 
And also, obviously, we'll have the move on the horizon to the new stadium. So if Everton do start next season, things can start to maybe look a little bit more positive. There's light at the end of the tunnel. They've just got to get there. If they do get there, you, you can't help but feel that maybe we'll look back on February, the appointment of Deitch, the rallying around him, the simplicity of what he did, of just trying to clarify everything that they were doing to make it as effective an opportunity for Everton to stay up as possible. It does feel like that we might look back on that and that be the turning point. Yeah, yeah, oh, definitely. I, I just, you don't get the impression that, I, you know, we, we spoke before, the... You know they could sell a player, but there's no there's no need to sell a big player at this stage by by the looks of things, unless we wanted to make some big signings ourselves. So as I say, you do you do get the get the impression that we formed as a as a as a unit as a team, a, a defensive line again in in the battle rather than just being constantly in the street and on you know and that's when I like an army that's when you're most vulnerable as a club. You know you, when you're retreating and selling stuff up players and there's all the intrigue around that. Um, that you, you're vulnerable on the pitch as well, and and a sense that time has stopped, you know, during a close season. Not you think, Chris, but I think that yeah. that time stopped. Yeah, um, it, like you say, it does it does feel different, you know, the, like you said, than on the on the Frank Lampard and the way that Sean Dyche is. He was obviously when he when he spoke to me after the the game, you could you could sense you know, a realism or a frustration, however you want to call it. You know, the fact that he was saying that they are active in the market, and he made the point. Of the fact that um, I don't know, money talks and money gets these deals over the line, you know, the insinuation being that some deals that they might have tried to get through haven't gone through. But like you say, yeah, the controllables, the um, the, the the fitness levels. I mean, yeah, it's not just a platitude, is it? He's not just saying, "Oh, well, of course, every I guess every Premier League team yeah. would like to be the fittest team in the Premier League." But with Everton, there is seem a strategy behind that. There is there's a process to where they're going to get that. It's it's not just an empty gesture. It's really interesting as well because I think Dyche hinted quite a few times towards the back end of last season as the players were going down like flies in the running. The games got more and more important and the squad got thinner and thinner. There were a couple of times he kind of, he, he alluded to the idea that he didn't think he'd have those problems had he managed that side over pre-season and yeah. had that team for a full year as opposed to coming in and having to do what he did and firefight and things like that. Gav, do you think that... Do you think that Everton, perhaps under Lampard, lacked a clear identity as to what it is that they were and were trying to achieve and where they're going to? And do you think that Dyche has instilled that in the squad and that, that might be a good thing? Yeah, well, we spoke about Frank on Friday. I think not only not, the lack of identity is probably Frank's lack of identity, isn't it? About what he wanted to do and how he wanted to implement those plans within within the first team and and we, we spoke about that on friday that perhaps he didn't know how to do that because it was an experience and i think the difference is, is dice has got all that experience hasn't he compared to lampard and dare i say he's probably you know the type of players he's got you know with one or two ex- exceptions of the type of players he's worked with before in football so in, in some respects this is familiar territory for him as you say chris he, he'd been there before hadn't he with, with, with bernie i presume so yeah i, I you I think it's it's a it's the easiest thing for a manager to do when they come in. We spoke about this before. Is the players are unfit? I think every manager who's ever taken over a football club within the first three months will say the squad that took over. Did you know that I was surprised by their lack of fitness? Every every manager has said that. It's like a, it's like a bingo card, and they tick that that off. Um, but you, you you suspect with Dice's 
Dice's comments that there was probably an element in tooth in there, in that Frank was probably a little bit more focused on the technical side of, of the game. And it's the not a lack of fitness, probably yeah. a lack of physical resilience. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and that and that's probably down to the Frank's coaching team as well, isn't it? And, and, and the people around around him. And and um, yeah, I, I think this is Dice's first piece. Well, first like you know sort of period of time he's had to work with the players. And I think you'd probably see a different Everton team in August than what you saw in February, March. I think I think that's you know, and, and it was interesting that Steve. I, I thought I thought that Steve Stone he was really, really really good about when he was talking about players' fitness, you know, and and sort of like where players are, you know, and understand where players are compared to others, and 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 that that came across as fitness is so important, you know, within the coaching setup, and um, you. I know every club says that you've got to get everybody super fit and stuff like that, but sometimes in certain games you can bridge get gaps, can't you, by your physical efforts. So that in the Arsenal game, didn't you? Yeah. Kaiser's first game is a classic example of that. If you work hard, you get results, and I think that's what they'll be. Uh, that's what will be doing this season. I think. It's about knowing where your, where your boundaries are. Yeah, your yeah, 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 yeah. How much you can get away with? You know, what players can get away with eighty percent and still be effective, and what need to be yeah, higher. Well, yeah, well, but not only boundaries physically, but um, in terms of ability as well. And that's where I don't think Frank understood the boundaries of the player's ability. Yeah, you know? I think when we look back at like uh, say, I mean. You with it back with hindsight wasn't necessarily saying this at, at the time, and I, and I still think that I still think that Frank could potentially be a good coach. Or yeah. I actually, actually think that a, a good move for Frank would probably be something like the under twenty ones at Chelsea, where he could be a, a role model as well. You know, he, but without the pressure, and he could help maybe build some of those young players that are coming up, big names in the game like he's been. He can grow tactically as they grow tactically. That kind of thing yeah. before he came back into a first team job. But it's almost it was almost as if the principles under Frank were fluid. And I think maybe, and I think probably, I think I probably fell into this trap a little bit. We spoke about this on the pod before. I think coming out of the season when Everton stayed up with the Crystal Palace game, I think there was a perception from a lot of people inside and outside the club, and I count myself within this of thinking almost wanting to write the season off before as a one off. A case of the Everton just got themselves in a bit of a relegation spiral. Uh, you know, we had the decline. They had the, the appointment of Benitez, then they had the decline under Benitez. The mess that got themselves in, the injuries that then started mm. to build up throughout the season. And I almost just thought that the squad that Everton finished that season with would naturally be maybe ten points better off next season, just by virtue of having had the chance to have got through it, got to the summer, had a psychological reset, had mm. a fitness reset, and come back fitter. Obviously, that wasn't the case. We now know that they just weren't quite good enough to be able to naturally come back in and be a competitive, effective Premier League football. And obviously not with, with, with Frank in charge. And I think where Frank got a little bit caught was, and you can almost see it playing out in real time. Remember the game at Leeds when he moved to a flat back four from a flat back five? It was that idea of maybe, oh, wait a minute. Maybe we're a little. I want us to be a little bit more progressive than a backs against the wall. We've got a fight to stay in the Premier League this season. I think that we can be a little bit more expansive. Thinking that games such as performances such as like the Crystal Palace 3 0 one yeah. could be a consistent theme when in reality we look back and they were probably that was a one off that was it might have come along once every seven or eight games at best, but everything in between was he hadn't done the homework, he hadn't done the built, built the solid foundation from which you can then expand to go on and play that football, which yeah. is something that Deitch talks about a lot. We've talked about how he wants to, you know, he would love to create a side that can go out and play progressive football, but he knows he needs to do the basics first, he needs to build a team that can do the, you know, to do the simple things yeah. well first. Yeah, but he wants it like a, 
seven on ten performance every week, doesn't he? Really, of course. that's that, that's what that he wants, and, and I, I totally get that. And you, you, as I say, you, I don't want to go go on the the, the the sort of battlefield scenario too much, but you get the impression we are digging in. We we, we dug another trench now to, can I, can I, to defend it, and, and I think I think that's I think that's a really important point for us to. Bearing to, in mind, Royal Blue, the, the military history, history podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. But bearing in mind what like what we've said so far, just as a kind of you know, go off on a slight tangent and we'll talk about some of the other issues around this and we expect there to be, you know, regardless of the scenario, if the circumstances have to are and we expect there to be more incomings over the course of summer. It's hard. I mean, I know there weren't any in January and it was yeah. impossible to see how they couldn't have done that. But surely there'll be some this summer. But with everything that we're talking about with fitness, do you think that there is enough quality within the evidence squad as it currently stands for them to stay up in the Premier League by making the most of, you know, if Dice gets every ounce of fitness and quality out of the players that he has got, where do you think Everton currently sit in terms of, you know, how competitive they'll be next season? Well, Chris, I'll go to you, sorry. Given that it's, it's the 17th of July, the squad as it stands, I'd be very concerned, mm. even with yeah. high fitness level, given, as we spoke about last week, it's been about six, six, six fifteen players out the door, if you include... Uh, and Josh Townsend, who didn't play because of injury last season. Only Ashley Young, as encouraging as he, as he is and as experienced as he is, you know, a 38-year-old through, through the door. So as it stands, I'd be very concerned. I think they need more, especially in the attacking areas. I mean, you could obviously get more with Dominic Calvert-Lewin. He's, not, he's played fewer than 50% of the matches both of the last two seasons. So if you get him fit and firing, obviously that's a big boost. If you somehow get a tune out of Neil Mope, um, he uh, interestingly played part of a strike partnership um, on Friday evening. But then you've got all the issues that go with Everton only having two men in the middle yeah. and what that's gone with that last season. So, yeah, I mean, Everton ended up making eight signings last summer and, you know, there's still another six weeks left of an active transfer window and seriously want there to be uh, more uh, options, in, more attacking options in there and the shape of new faces. But... As it stands, yeah, I'd be concerned, but obviously we have still got another six weeks. Would you weeks share those concerns window. as well, Gav? Yeah, absolutely. Um, for the most I said about, like, you can see the, the, the merits of what Dice is doing. I mean, and some of this is down to the clubs around you, isn't it? The clubs have come up, how competitive they are, about whether you go down. I mean, the one the one thing I'd say is, and, and this is the, the concern I've got is, you know, Villa are very much a club similar to Everton, aren't they, in terms of size and history and stuff like that. And like in two, when they went down in 2016, the, they had two seasons getting in 30 odd points yeah. and stayed up. Then the third season they went down. So because three strikes and you're out. Yeah, really. yeah, yeah. Because they were getting over the you know the the the, the expense of the the, the Randy Laney years. So there's a similarity with Everton and Villa, you know, from about seven or eight years ago. So as it stands, yeah, you'd be very concerned um, and quite rightly so. Um, and we do need players, but you, you can only make. You've got to get the most of the players that are there at the moment. Going back to Lampard thing, I, I picked up on this on, on Friday. Is he, that alarming comment about Barlow players who, who, who are Barlowers? And I can't see Dice allowing for that. I can't see people if they're swinging the legs a little bit. I don't think that's going to happen under Dice. Where maybe it did happen under Lampard. And um, I think, um, yeah, as we stand at the moment, as Chris said, middle of July, yeah. Can, of course, but why wouldn't you? It's it's just natural thing, you know. You, you've had two seasons in the thirties points marks. You've escaped relegation. You've got alarmingly, you've got less points in the second season. Well, you, you're actually gone from thirty nine to thirty six. 
So the, the trajectory is downwards. Um, that needs addressing. And the first thing needs addressing is get the best out of the current squad and get some players in. I was interested to see um, the, the first tranche of Premier League money was paid to clubs, wasn't it, on Friday? And I'm just wondering whether that, yeah, I'm just wondering whether that'll kickstart a few bit of movement, not only with with uh, Everton, but other clubs that had then impacts on on Everton. Because that's why Declan Rice got sold over the weekend, wasn't it? Because they had the money in the Arsenal, had the ma- yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm just wondering whether, in terms of we've spoken about Everton's cash yeah. issues, obviously, whether that'll help us. Sales will also be key, and obviously, I think one thing that you mentioned the delay. Obviously, Declan Rice has been. It's clear that he was going to go to um, uh, to Arsenal for, for, for some time, but obviously only got signed off at the weekend. And you very much feel as if a lot of the Premier League business and perhaps a lot of the European business has been waiting for a few dominoes to fall. Perhaps that, and now all of a sudden West Ham are going to have a lot of money. They're ambitious. They're in Europe next season. Yeah. Yeah, they're on a they're a club that, for all that they ended up in a struggle last season, they're on a much surer footing. It feels than someone like Everton, and have got the ability to go out and spend some of that money probably. And it'll be interesting to see the knock-on impact that has. Will they, for instance, obviously they've been linked to someone that we know that they have an interest in Amadou Anana, because obviously yeah. Everton would pit them to him last season. They now have a big gap in centre midfield to fill and a lot of money to spend. Even you, know, you would think that they'd be able to come in if they had the interest for Amadou Anana, you'd think they'd be able to come in with a price Everton would be interested in and still have a lot of money left over from from, yeah. from the Declan Rice deal. So yeah, that that's a really interesting, obviously linked to Alex Awobi a little bit as, as well. So, I mean, we might start to see, to see that knock-on effect as well in the sense that some of those deals that have been mooted, if there is interest and if there is any seriousness in that interest, might start to kind of come and that might open up a few doors for Everton, I suppose, as well. Yeah, absolutely. Or, or opportunities. And, and, and I think we've spoken, I don't talk about Everton's finances again, but, you know, you forget like you're in the summer, you've got to pay players. You know, we talk about having money for like transfers. We've got to pay what thirteen I don't know, thirteen million pounds a month goes out of the club for players alone every month. You know, you've got to there'd be like payments to clubs for like an Arna and McNeil. So in that context I think that's what and, and we're not alone with that by the way. I think the the, the, the first payments to the Premier League money on Friday is a big acts as a big transformative thing in terms of people's buying power and I think you'll see the market picking up a lot more now and the, the other things as well is two, two other things that, that obviously also kind of add to that momentum in terms of the transfer activity is one we'll start over the next week or two now to see the final players join up with their squads that have been off on extended breaks yeah. of international duty obviously we know that you know that means Damari Gray Jab Ranfwaite and James Garner coming back to Everton at some point next I don't know if it'll be this week or the week after. It was unclear when what, what when in Daish's comments last week. But obviously, that will then help them to decide what to do with Damari Gray. Wants to have a chat, be able to have a proper chat with the player because we know there's interest in him. Um, similarly, you know, Wilfred Nonso, who evidently linked with at Leeds, well, he joins back up with the Leeds squad either today. We're speaking on Monday or, or tomorrow. Just on that, I think Everton's interest is genuine. Um, but like we said, I think on Friday, Leeds are very resistant to a sale, and I think. You know, I think they're operating from a position of strength there you know, on an affordable wage. Um, he's on a long-term contract. Mm. Everton have had discussions, informal talks about prices for him. And I think at the minute, Leeds see Everton's valuation is far, far too low. And if I'm honest, at this stage, the window without further outgoings or something changing from Leeds' perspective, I'm not sure if they'll quite be able to get to a point where Leeds could actually take serious interest. But one thing that might happen, of course, is we don't know what the player is going to do and whether he's going to start pushing to leave. And that might the wheels might turn on motion for things like that as they start coming back. So... A lot of the speculations come from Italy, which is obviously the, the national team yeah, that Nonto yeah. represents. So that, that'll be an interesting one. Chris, 
it's impossible to talk about next season. It's impossible to talk about strength and prospects and hopes without going back to that Dominic Calvert-Lewin question. And one of the things you you spoke to Steve Stone about Dominic Calvert-Lewin and I read the comments talking about perhaps where he might be in terms of his fitness pathway at the moment and I kind of thought they were quite interesting and they were probably a little bit open to interpretation. My reading of it was that Dominic Calvert-Lewin might may well still be a little bit away from playing football for forever and perhaps involvement in pre-season friendlies and I must admit when I, when I, when I looked at the words and the way he said them I had a little bit of concern as to whether or not Dominic Calvert-Lewin might be touch and go for the beginning of the season. Mm. Obviously, even though words in black and white can often look very different to words when you're saying it, having been a, a person in that conversation, and I know you would have thought carefully about how you worded things yeah. and, the, and how you would have set up the quotes that Steve Stone used and things like that, of course you would. But I'm just interested to see what your interpretation of that conversation was and just whether you got a sense as to where they think the pathway is and where he is in this stage yeah. of recovery for Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Yeah. Well, what you've also got to throw into the mix, it's not a major thing that Dom was actually one of those players who'd had a, a, a sickness bug as well um, last week, wasn't it? And he did actually been kept away um, from, from, the, from the other players. But yeah, I mean... Well, sorry, who was it that had a sickness bug? I knew, I knew that there um, had been a sickness bug, I wasn't I sure. That, yeah, I was told it was, it was, it was Dom had it and it was um, um, Stanley Mills as well. Right, to see. Um, so they were a, a couple of players at the, who, who uh, were suffering with the sickness. Um and yeah, Steve Steve Stone said that the idea was that that um, they want to have him fit for a longer period of the season. That, that, that you know, that the, it's not the be all and end all that Dominic Calvert Lewin is starting that first match of the season against Fulham. I mean, he certainly wasn't ruled out for that. But the idea being, it's about the long term effects, the, the, the greater good, really, because as we as we've spoken about. Two seasons on the bounce now, he's played less than half the matches. Yeah. And if you do that for a third year, I mean, you're, you're really not getting as much out of the player as, as you should be. And um, he's learned, he's talking about something that the manager's spoken about with me in the past as well. That at 26 now, he's, he's approaching a, a point in his career where he should be sort of learning his own body, really. When, when you're younger, you may be not too sure what you can do and what you can't do and just how far you push yourself but when you're getting sort of the, in your peak years now as it were you should be able to sort of gauge what what is a knock and what what is just like a, 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 a not a strain but you know a, a discomfort necessary you're never 100 percent high as a professional footballer no. so what you can do and what you can't do without actually doing any damage and uh, when and once you sort of learn that sort of process and you get more sort of confident in that respect you can go out there and you're less tentative because it's been a hamstring again, hasn't it, with Dom? And you can actually, you know, go for that sprint without wincing, without having that doubt in the back of your mind about where you're at. So, yeah, we talked about the process with that and the hopes that Dom can actually self-manage a lot more in that respect in that he'll be able to gauge what he can and what he can't do and sort of have less sort of apprehension about when he's coming back from an injury, just about how far he can push himself. Gav, yeah. that's... Obviously, the approach is a positive because it, it sounds like Dice's team is, is aware of where Dominic Calvert-Lewin is at and want to make sure that they're not focused on short-term goals of having him back for a day. They want him to get back and when he's back, to be back properly. Yeah. But obviously, that's got to be another concern because we've spoken already about the, the positives that having a simplicity and clarity of approach brings to 
a side such as Everton where yeah. they don't have many options. Obviously, there's a huge, huge difference, as we saw mainly at the beginning of last season under Lampard. There's a huge difference between playing to Dominic Calvert-Lewin's strengths and playing to Neil Mope, who was the only other senior yeah. forward, senior experienced forward at the club strength. And that's going to be a little bit of a problem in terms of the approach over the next few weeks if they have to adopt a kind of dual strategy of being able to both work on a style that works for Neil Mope and work on a style that that works best for Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Yeah, I think and of course, yeah. the longer it takes before they get another striker in, and you would think that one of the one of the things that be the type of profile of strikers that would make sense would be to find someone that matches Dominic Calvert Lewin's attributes. But the longer that goes on, the more concerning that'll be because the more spent the more time that'll end up being spent on what's essentially Plan B, yeah. and that Plan B that we don't know is effective because Mope struggled. Yeah, and you end up with Damari Gray playing up front against only really. I mean, yeah, I think I thought it was a really good interview that Chris, Chris in terms of like the type of that's why pre-season tours you get them type of interviews yeah. don't you I thought it was really interesting and it was I share your concern you said at the start Joe was that reading that interview they spoke about him being fit fit didn't he yeah. getting fit that was fit. a phrase he used fit fit and, and um, you got the impression that actually that, that there's not an expectation that he's going to be there on the first game of the season as well as passes in the Coleman as well by by the way yeah, when they yeah. read that I don't think that, that well, was interesting to be fair uh, young, young Patterson was, was, on, was playing Friday play, night playing Friday night lively, but, it was, but yeah, he's, he is he's behind, still got yeah, injury yeah. issues hasn't he yeah and I think you spoke about ta- working on Dice going to be working on tactics well actually Everton's tactics and set up with Calvert-Lewin in the team and set up with Mopey in the team are two completely different things a Brighton Mopey plays what in a 3-4-3 where Dice doesn't really play 4-3-3 or 3-4-3, does he really? He plays 4-5-1 or whatever you call it. And so it is a different setup. And, and Mope struggles when we try to play like we, we have done with Calvert-Lewin. And if you change that dynamic to suit Mope, then you lose some of like you, you, you know what, say, Wobie does or what McNeil does. And it, it's, it's a quandary, really, isn't it? And um, it, it just shows you that perhaps the... The, the purchase of Mopay could have been better thought out. I think we'd all agree that because I don't damning, think really. Yeah, 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 that's not really, not not really worked. What I would say is perhaps they never thought that Calvert Loon's injury issues would be as long-standing as what they eventually were twelve months ago. Which, but it if is, that was the case, is, is if we're honest, is also a little bit damning as well. Bear in mind what he'd been through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is it, probably thinking not. You're looking at him. And, I, you know, it's just a standing agenda item on the podcast. <laughs> the Calvert Lewin is. We spoke about him last week, didn't he? And also, as well, he, he, Stone spoke about the psych- you know, the psychological thing about having. He said he'd had hamstring injuries himself. And he says, constantly, when he had hamstring injuries, constantly during the game, is my hamstring going to go here or feeling it like it? I thought that was quite, quite interesting as well. And, um, yeah, it's going to cause us an issue because they are, as strikers go, and you wouldn't, would you class Mopey as a centre forward even, possibly? They're like at the complete opposite ends of the spectrum, aren't they, in terms of their strengths and weaknesses? And that does cause us an issue. And if we, I assume if we were going for the striker, it would be somebody like Calvert Lewin. Is that what we're saying? Yeah, it feels like it would make sense. It feels like, obviously, first and foremost, it would be good to have someone that could compete with Calvert Lewin. 
you know, obviously that ups everybody's standards. But yeah. I think if we know if we're being perfectly honest, that type of striker who's got a track record would be difficult for Everton to obtain. But one thing that I think we're all in agreement on and have been over you know, previous podcasts is the fact that Evan can't go into the season gambling on Calvert-Lewin's no. fitness in the most sensible way to set up for a team that probably you know, is in the situation Evan are financially is to find someone as close to with as, as close to a profile as Dominic Calvert-Lewin as possible so that it becomes interchangeable. And okay, they might not have the, the experience or the same amount of quality that Calvert-Lewin has, but what it does mean is you don't have to then adapt to a completely different style of play, which was a big problem that Evan had in those first six or seven games of last season when Calvert-Lewin picked up that knee injury. Yeah. Then they didn't have a striker to play. We've had Gordon playing as a false nine for a lot of it. And then they did bring Mope in. And, you know, I felt sorry a little bit for Mope I felt a lot. I felt sorry a lot for Mope, if I'm being perfectly honest. I thought one that he was brought in without there being a clear plan necessarily for him, and two, he kind of bearing in mind he, for sight he hadn't had a preseason because he was expecting to leave Brighton, and then had that debacle over the fact that Everton signed him um, just before the bank holiday, so he wasn't registered to be able to play oh, yeah, for yeah, the Leeds, make that, his yeah, debut yeah, against yeah, yeah. against Leeds. Yeah. And then, we, if you remember, we, there was that awkward autumn period for Everton, going from you know middle of September through to beginning of, of November, spanned a couple of international breaks as well. When it was a kind of will he, won't he play with Dominic Calvert and he kept coming back, being on the cusp of coming back, playing and then coming off early or then missing the next game. And it just meant that there was just no real... It meant that it felt like Calvert-Lewin was always close enough to play and it almost felt like Lampard was starting every week going, right, Monday, Dom, where can you be fit to play? Yeah, OK, we'll work, we'll work to that plan Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Thursday afternoon. Oh, looks like it might be a bit tricky. OK, well, Mopé will have to come in, but we've worked on different tactics for... And it just felt, it felt just so disjointed when you saw what Everton had on the, on the pitch. And it feels like that Everton can't do that again this season because that would just be daft. It would defy logic to leave themselves in that position. So they've either got to come up with a different strategy to work with the players that they either have got or the players that they can get in. Yeah. Or they've got to work to a strategy. If they, if Sean Dyche thinks that the most effective way of playing is to play in for Dominic Calvert-Lewin, they then have to have somebody that can easily replace Dominic Calvert-Lewin and what he brings to the team in the summer transfer window. One of the players that I think people say fits that, I think, is Albert Altore Almiri, who haven't been heavily linked to. Yeah. Um, but he has a €40 million Euro release clause. And he has a club that wants to sell him because they want to use the money to be able to fund wider improvements to the squad. They only just stayed up in La Liga last season. But I think they're very much engaged at the minute. They say that Evan have been putting bids in. I think there's a little bit of interest in them. But I think it's a very, very much a case at the minute of, Ever- of Evan's name being used to try and push the price up, whether or not in mm. you know, two week, in five or six weeks' time. Almeria lost their main strike on the very last day of the last summer transfer window and it massively impacted their season. Yeah. So I think they want to, they have a fear of avoiding that situation this summer. So there may be a point where in a couple of weeks' time there's a, they can meet in the middle. But again, we're talking about fees of money, fees that at the moment probably aren't within Evans' reach. And for a side that wants to raise, wants to raise money, they probably don't want it heavily in instalments. They want upfront payments, which again is a difficulty which is not for Everton. With Evan, is it really? Yeah. So. I mean, it just shows you the difference. I mean, the club has quite rightly got stick about like buying players and not, or, you know, players they bought and players they should have bought and and so on. But you know, you, you forget how difficult. <laughs> Think about this: how difficult it is to buy a player. If you want to like sort of, you want to buy a, a player who replicates, say, Dominic Dominic Calvert Lewin, you've got to like identify the player first of all, haven't you? You know, then that player needs to be available the player needs to want to join you 
you need to get a, 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 you know, a transfer fee that you know, both clubs are happy with. You've got to get a salary package that both clubs are happy with. There's a whole hope, and that player, you know, is happy playing in the role you know you want them to play. There's like six or seven like filters you've got to go through, haven't you? You, you know, in, in terms of buying a player, if you're looking for a specific type of player, and it's just and that's very difficult. You can have the best scouting system in the world. You also, but you also need a lot. Of time. You also need a lot of luck. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think one of the big sliding doors moments of last season was you know Everton were essentially very very close to signing Mohamed Kudos from from Ajax. Yeah. And obviously that didn't get over the line, but they very got they got very close to selling him. Then all of a sudden, Man United had such a catastrophic start to the season that they panicked, paid the world for for Anthony, paid so you know went, went so much money for Anthony that Ajax couldn't turn it down. The account rubbing their hands with glee, but all of a sudden Anthony goes, Ajax don't want to lose another Ford. So you know at the start of the season, shut the door on Mohamed Kudos. He ends up going and I think you know he scored four or five goals Champions League, scores against Ajax, uh, so scores for Ajax against Liverpool at Anfield, great yeah. goal, had a good World Cup as well. And all of a sudden he's gone from being a player that was on the cusp of joining Everton for you know a loan to, with an obligation or an option to buy. All of a sudden you look at that and thinking great business. Just imagine where Everton would be. They had him. So all of a sudden he's become, you know, overnight one of the hottest prospects in, mm. in European football. And all of a sudden he's un- yeah. you know, probably unobtainable for someone like Everton. And he's, well, he's at Champions League, changing club. They're unfortunate in that respect. But then you flip it round and look at the Mopay signing. And like I say, it's through no fault of Mopay's at all but just seems totally ill-suited and okay yeah. the hindsight of you know you know everyone's got you know, 2020 vision vision with hindsight and looking at it retrospectively but it just wasn't a, the fit it was almost like well here's a Premier League proven player who's available I think Everton have got to get smarter with their recruitment got to look in different areas I mean look at the clubs like Brighton and Hove Albion Brentford in recent years operating with fewer resources than Everton have been a lot smarter obviously they just talk about the ways they go about their recruiting you yeah. sort of sort I of think scientific. that's a point worth making yeah. though isn't it that their, their scouting database because of the owners yeah. sort of business interests is far wider isn't it and far more detailed they're than also in a slightly club. different position as well aren't they because I think very much that uh, as impressive as their rises have been it's been a rise that's taken place without the pressure of they, they've, they've, they've been for the benefit of coming up from mid-table championship clubs that have built their success on that model as opposed to Everton where they, Everton have always had more to lose because of, of where yeah. they are and and also you know Brighton and Brentford and, and this is through this is, this is Everton's fault it's completely Everton's fault but they just simply don't have the money to take those gambles, do they? They don't have the money. You, know, you look at Wilfred Nonto signed for about four million pounds from, you know, for, for Leeds from Zurich last summer. All of a sudden, Everton want him, and a few other clubs do. And you look at that, you think great bit of business. But do Everton have those four or five million pounds to gamble on now? Obviously, they did last summer in the sense that they, they signed Neil Mope for you know a deal yeah, that's probably yeah. four times as much yeah. as that. But clearly priorities have changed I think yeah. Yeah, the again, recruitment team you know it, it's like lazy is maybe too, an unfair word think, to use yeah. but um, like you said not, not being as savvy as some of the, the competitors uh, yeah, I, th- I, think, I think Evan's recruitment department in fairness on the farewell I, th- I think it is quite tuned in I think it is working hard I think the reality is that they're just operating in an environment where it's very very difficult for them to obviously they don't have a say on who presses the final button or what money is available and what isn't they can only come up with the players and if you look at some of the players they've come up with over you know, the last 18 months well some of them have turned out to be pretty decent the some problem is last summer were good weren't you know like Anana Garner Tarkovsky were, were good signings are, are we saying here that actually 
you know, and, and the sounds probably not what you would expect, but actually you could see it working. Four or five Ashley Young type signings would be actually a pretty decent result for where we stand at the moment during the summer. They're you know, one year, two year deals for players who are, who are proven. I'm say like half a dozen 38 yeah, yeah, year olds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if they can play like Ashley Young, kind of 38, yeah. wouldn't they? Is that what you're saying? Is that like that, that? That's the type of thing we should be. I think what I'm trying to say is I think the you know obviously haven't had that strategic review what 18 months or so ago and um, you know it was heralded at the time by the club as a as a series a sea change in thinking the reality is that it was it was an ideal it came up with an ideology that's essentially impossible to put into place because the fabric of the club was so chaotic that. They just didn't have the resources to follow that. You know, an, an ideology in the transfer window where you focus on signing young, promising players that could turn out to be world beaters and with big sell-on fees and also try and develop pathways from young players into the first team only works on two levels. One, if you've got the money to be able to risk it on prospects rather than yeah, um, yeah. players that have already got experience and shown that you can do it. And two the first 11 have to be playing week in, week out in a scenario where players can afford to make mistakes and to grow within the first team setup, within that experience. They can have the chance to fail. They can have, you know, a dice terminology to bliss to miss if they're strikers and things like that. They fr- the freedom to fail at the most senior level whilst they gain, because that's how you gain experience. Yeah. You know, you, you so Everton haven't had that opportunity because no. they've been operating under such pressure because results have been needed for so long that you simply can't, you know, Tom Cannon looks like he's a very, very good prospect, but you can't start throwing him into games in a scenario where Everton are 2-1 down in a Premier League match playing against experienced defenders and they need to get a result. They might have to this season, but that isn't the ideal scenario for for that ideology to operate. So maybe this is the summer where they almost take a row back and we talked about the pragmatism and the reality with which Dice seems to approach the situations. And it very much seems to be a case of this season. It might have to be a case of as unpalatable it is. Is this isn't a case of a summer transfer window that's that's planned for the future, for the long-term future of the club. This is a summer transfer window where it's a okay, what can Everton most effectively do to survive in the Premier League until that they have that more big, wider freedom to operate, which might be next summer. And I think you have to look at the idea, and it has to be maybe. The likes of a James Tarkowski signing last season and Ashley Young signed this season. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that because how long Dice got left on his contract? Is it a year? It was a two and a half year, year deal. deal. So, so yeah, so it's it's another two, isn't it? Another two. So he's got he's got like a short term. You know, this whole thing about you know what you're talking about there's right. But if your manager's only got like an eighteen month contract or two, years, they're not going to buy players for the you know for the good of the team are if if funds are limited that might only bear through three or four years down the line they want players who are going to like sort of uh, be available to you and at their best while you're a, while you've you're a manager under contract i mean it's, a, it's human nature isn't it really you're going to look after number one and and it's, and it's, that, so that will inform i would imagine well, dice's that around that ancelotti had a four and a half year contract and he was signing 30 year olds himself wasn't but he? that's <laughs> an, but that's that's answered they, they, those players because ancelotti doesn't develop players does it? i mean you know that's not his style is it you know really oh well, people say he developed x y and z but in the circumstances those are the players that he wanted yeah. um but 
if you're a manager on a limited contract, then you're going to buy players for, for that contract, aren't you, really? Are you going to, going to work for you? And I think that, that will also inform, you know, some of our dealings that, you know, under Dice. And, and I think if, if we say, if we come make five or six signs that are sort of, I'd say not like identical to Ashley Young types, but of that similar deal, players who are flexible, are proven, maybe even just a little bit past the best, but you know that they can do a job for you. I wouldn't, I, I'd say that would be a pleasing Decent win, I mean, one thing Everton do need is, is it's not just quality that they need it is also Numbers, depth yeah, yeah, like right, I mean yeah. how often did we look at that bench last season and go I don't you know, there are very very few players on there that you would look to bring on I know it's Dyche's it's within Dyche's mindset I spoke to him about this he isn't someone that likes to make a lot of substitutions but there wasn't really a great deal of options that he had when he was at Everton to change a game, whether no. that be to short, you know, on the other occasion where Everton winning games like Nottingham Forest and things like that. There wasn't a lot he could do to bring off the bench with 20 minutes ago just to try, and certainly when Everton needed to go for a win or find an equaliser, they were very, very limited in terms of attacking options they could bring off the bench to change a game. And that is probably something that will have to change in Dyche's mindset because I do think that we are having a bit of a reset into, or you know, we have crossed the Rubicon now with the amount of substitutes, nine on the bench, five that can be used. Another military of, history reference for yeah, you there. Yeah, loving it. Yeah, loving it. Yeah, yeah, that, loving it, yeah But, but yeah. that's it. We're, you know, <laughs> we, are, we are in a new era of Premier League football now where games can significantly change. There are two games. There's a game for the first 70 minutes and there's, or 65, 70 minutes. There's another game for the last 25 yeah. minutes. You can effectively, you know, you can change up to half of your starting lineup. And one of the problems that Everton saw, and it was, it became really clear from I think Wolves in, on Boxing Day onwards, and then particularly once other clubs started to use the, trans, the January transfer market to do this, is that you know, how often would you be sat there at Goodison Park or elsewhere, and you would see the opposition manager have four or five players line, you know, started to warm up on the 55-minute mark, and over the course of the next half now, he would strategically bring them on, and it would help to change tactics. Help, yeah. they, they would have a massive impact on how games went. Yeah. Everton just simply not only could Everton not do that to proactively change the, 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 the way in which games are played they also couldn't do it to react to how other teams were changing tactics and personnel yeah. Yeah. because it just didn't have time for me I mean it just, like you say you use that phrase Joe game changes just not, not enough game changes even if you had options on the bench wasn't somebody who was going to give you a spark of inspiration or anything like that no, no, and uh, in the end, he just didn't make the substitutions at all, really, well, like, did he? You know, it, you know. And then that, then that gets into fitness questions yeah, and stuff, are, doesn't it? Because people play ninety yeah. a lot, and and uh, yeah, and I, I just think it would be interesting to see, and I would expect to see, as I say, four or five, you know, signs like Young, but we do do need those numbers. Yeah. I mean, if you were saying centre half, you know, if somebody like Holgate goes. You probably need another experienced Connor Cody type figure, don't we? A centre half, I think, because Brantwaite is still relatively unproven, isn't he? In the Premier League, though, he obviously shows a lot of promise. And so that you could, you could, you could have several podcasts just on who those five or six signings would fit into the team. Not Johnny think? Evans, it seems. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, well, he's had fitness issues himself, yeah. hasn't he, Johnny Evans? Yeah, that was an interesting, <laughs> interesting one. How that came out, wasn't yeah. it? Really? You wonder if you wonder if that was being said as a threat to some of those players yeah. in the uh, <laughs> thing, wasn't it? You know, that, that's it. Like, um, I mean, what, we haven't got there yet, but obviously, Evan have played their first ninety minutes of pre-season now. The game on on Friday night, Chris, you you were there. Yeah. Two-one victory over the you know, Swiss second-tier side, Stade Lyonnais. Um, 
obviously you've, you've written about yeah. your thoughts extensively on the game, but from having been there, I mean, what did you make of it? Result, performance yeah. wasn't necessarily to be all and end all, but yeah. did you take any positives away from it? Well, there was, and a lot of youngsters got on the pitch, but I think there's very little we can learn really from, from, from the game in terms of taking it on to the, for a, like sort of a, what we might see from Everton in the Premier League. I suppose what you you could say is that it was um, James Tarkosti and, and Michael Keane starting as centre-backs. Is that something we're going to see more of this season? Obviously, they played together at, at, at Burnley and um, with a... Michael Keane actually played over 30 games his first five years at Everton. It was only last year when he got frozen out at, on the Frank Lampard. Obviously, I mean, at the moment, it's hard to see yeah. it not. It's hard to see it not being Keane and Tarkovsky at full, for Fulham, isn't it? Yeah. That's a, yeah. That's a, that would be my. I, I would imagine. Although obviously Ben Godfrey, who started left back and then went to play centre back, but yeah, I'd, I'd be with you on that one. That's what I would imagine at this at this stage. Um, but the fact I said that they lined up four four two, which is something that we don't really imagine seeing in, in the Premier League, given the problems they had. A Fulham of all teams as well. Obviously, last season he yeah. changed it after 20 minutes when he'd gone 4-4-2 again. Because obviously he maybe thought, OK, we got turned over at Manchester United, but Fulham at home might be different. And it, was, and it wasn't, and he changed that one. So it lined up 4-4-2. Mopey and Cannon were obviously starting as the strikers. Mopey gets to play as a two, but are we going to see that much? Um, and then, like we said, uh, your players coming back on, actually, which is interesting for me doing the player ratings. Um, <laughs> keeping up with that, I think I was saying at one point, oh, Everton, I made four changes here. So, sorry, five. And uh, yeah. Yeah, it was very chaotic in that respect. Um, Joe's mate, Joe Virginia, Joe Virginia he, got a, he got a start in goal. Uh, Jordan Pickford was, at, was in the stands. So, yeah, yeah, a few jittery moments early on, but he, he grew into the game. Well, and he, even, made a, he made a big save at the beginning yeah, of the second yeah, half. Yeah. Neil nearly did very well, didn't right. he? Yeah, to be fair. Yeah, there he is, straight in there from the Joe Virginia the fan club. But uh, even Billy Crellin got on at the end. So, a lot of youngsters are at the, at the end of the game. And, was it uh, too, is it too much to say? Yeah. When I looked at the starting lineup, what jumped out at me was, yeah. was Joe Virginia, Lewis Warrington, and Tom Cannon. Yeah. Because when you look at where Everton are at the minute, three areas where they kind of need to find squad options. And bearing in mind this is a search that's taking place in the transfer market with not very much money is they need a number two because Asmir Begovic is gone. Yeah. And you don't, it's, it's difficult as experienced as Andy Lonergan is at 39. Yeah, it's difficult to see him as being anything more than number three again. They need another centre midfielder. Tom Davis is gone. And albeit he was a fringe player, the fact that they offered him a new contract suggests that they felt that they needed another player. And we anticipate we'll play three in centre midfield as well. And it may well be that the way things are going, obviously some of the options that they do have remaining. James Garner may well end up playing a little bit of space at right back. Alex Awobi, we can play in, in the centre, but we don't really, it doesn't look as if Dice necessarily fancies him there, unfortunately. Um, so we, Lewis Warrington got an opportunity there and obviously we know about the issues up top, Tom Cannon. It did feel like that there was a degree of, um, albeit experimentation, it did make sense them three players starting. Or do you think I'm just reading it? You know, do you think Dice was looking at that to see, can these players fill those squad slots or am I just looking, playing no, too I much think, attention I think that? he was. I know we're having a bit of fun there about Joe Virginia, but I think, I think that's an area... Well, you, you know, we talked about it in the last podcast, a calculated gamble that the hope that Pickford can play most of the season and he, he can possibly be the number two. Um, but yeah, definitely looking at them um, because if you look at the players who were available because they were part of the party and they were they were all, they were saying Everton, some of the strongest players were all sat in front of me in the, in the main stand. Jordan Pickford was there, Amadou Anana was there, new signing Ashley Young was 
was was there, and there was a, there was a few more um, as 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 well. Um, so it, it was like, yeah, we we know what you can do, and obviously Abdullah Decore only came on as a second half substitute as well. So it, yeah, it was almost like go out there, lads, and, and show me if you if you can hack it. We'd we'd have the the training throughout the week, and we'd seen what they could do physically, and now we were seeing what they could do in a, in a game situation. As as Dyke said, you know, it it was real. It was. It was very different than the last time Everton were in the in that um, part of the world and in the Austrian side of the Alps when they they turned over um, those uh, twenty two nil yeah, effort wasn't it? Yeah, I mean that wasn't uh, beneficial yeah. for anyone. It got no, increasingly no, no, no. embarrassing on all sides. So you know they, they uh, Tarkovsky said they have played these this lot before and you know they they, they had a go and that's what you want. You don't want to like roll teams over because nobody learns anything from that. And this team, I mean, although their goal actually was a consolation. You know, Everton were two 0 and cruising by that point. It'd taken them an hour to go ahead, but um, yeah, they had quite they had basically a very young back five on by that point, and it got you know a bit of a sloppy defensive moment, and they pulled one back. But yeah, it was almost like the manager saying, "You, you go out there, lads, and show me what you can do." And for all that we talk about them, it was actually Gav. There was actually a couple of probably the academy players that were in the tier beneath the ones that are on the cusp of first-team football that ended up making the difference. Obviously, Francis Ocaronco came on. He yeah. won the penalty, set up the chance that uh, Decore put straight to goalkeeper straight yeah. after after half-time. And, and Kate Kiate scored a well, he scored a fantastic goal. In, in fairness, yeah, 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 yeah. the young well lad. taken for a young player. Very, well. you know, very well taken. You know, for a player who hasn't been prolific at youth level, although he's been getting more and more opportunities. You know, after a few struggles with injuries. Obviously, you, know, you have to take these with a degree of pinch of salt. There's no point suggesting that these are players that are going to be you know, leapfrogging no. and jumping into first-team football. But it, it's nice. it was nice to be able to see them take their opportunities, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely. And that's what, that's what it's there for. I don't think Dice strikes me as a, 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 a manager who would undersell the benefits of a, of a pre-season friendly. You know, he's saying about like tactics and stuff. He's going to take every opportunity. To, to work on stuff so we, we go into the season you know at the better you know in the best shape we can I don't think he's just going to put people in places just for the sake of it or play four four two just for the sake of it he's done that for the reason hasn't he and yeah and I'm a bit in that framework so, especially at the moment it's a bit after players in the stand we've got a few injuries as well yeah no that's good I think you know I think I think that's. I, mean, I think of a few players over the years who, who've, who've had a good pre-season that you never expected to you know come in and, and, and done well so yeah, yeah, I think that just getting in and around the squad's a good thing, to be honest with you. Just and, and uh, I think everybody benefits there. How many do progress as a move point? You don't know, but it might be a surprise in there. Yeah, yeah. do I have another opportunity on? Uh, I think it's well later this week. Trying to remember which which date it's on. Obviously, Forest Green for the under twenty ones, and what was going to be a fixture, <laughs> pitting them up against Duncan <laughs> Ferguson's game, and then then we have um, then we have the games on Saturday where obviously the Everton senior squad goes to Wigan and I think it being under 21's outfit yeah, really that plays Tranmere yeah. might be a few opportunity for some some fringe players maybe to get a few minutes of Tranmere do you think Chris or do you think it'll very much be a clear distinction um, yeah, for can you like, name a senior a senior <laughs> squad at the minute yeah well, that's <laughs> the problem isn't it I mean uh, yeah because um, you, you'd be given that that's um, those numbers there you'd have a, a quite a few youngsters um been with the first team so yeah the, the, the way the club officials were speaking to me they say it was very much you know it's going to be the first team is at Wigan Athletic and it's an under 21s fixture uh, at Tramir Rovers so uh, yeah that's a two Everton games um, at the same time simultaneously at the weekend so both two o'clock kickoffs. More opportunity for us to gain some insights to where Everton are hopefully 
things might have changed. We, we talk about the transfer window, gathering a little bit of momentum over the next few days. So by the time that we're back with you on Friday, you know, maybe we'll have a little bit more news, a few more developments in terms of incomings and outgoings as well. Well, that's all for the Royal Blue podcast, podcast today. So thanks very much for listening. Thanks very much for, for taking us all. And we really appreciate it. And we'll be back with you on Friday ahead of those games against Tramier and Wigan. You've been listening to the Royal Blue podcast from the Liverpool Echo.